0: Take our Bibles and open it to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. <coughs> I'm full of, can I ask you for a glass of water, please? Thanks, brother. <coughs> Matthew, chapter 19. And today's the tonight. This afternoon will be the last sermon in our mini series on church discipline. You might say, but why do we talk about marriage, divorce, and remarriage? Um, because in our context at Clackstock, this is the specific case. We are dealing with and i believe half of the problem is we don't have clear views as christians about the absolute high standard god has but also what are some legitimate reasons for divorce and remarriage and and i just want to say that i know this is an uh, incredibly complex issue but i do believe god's word gives us clear principles and today again like we did in one of the church discipline sermons we're going to focus more on principles than on just strict laws. Um, I think that's a helpful way <clears throat> to look at any complex issue and to say, these principles give us wisdom. So, but let's just read God's word. Matthew 19, we're gonna read the first 12 verses together. Hear now the words of the living God. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry but he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For they are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and they are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and they are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. It's a reading of God's word. Thanks, brother. Let's pray together. Father, we... We come to your throne of grace we thank you lord for creating us giving us life and breath and everything we can enjoy thank you for the good gift of marriage lord but you know how often our sin our hardness of heart causes division divorce painful separation broken families and often children are the ones who suffer the most so, Father, I pray help us as a church, as Christians, to uphold, uphold the high standard of marriage. May we not be like the world, look like the world, but may we commit to our marriages as an act of this obedience to you, Lord. And please, Father, please give us understanding of this difficult topic. Help us not to fall in the land and, and in, a, in a pitfall of one extreme or the other. But I pray that we will look at the entire Bible and see what you, you say to us, Father. Please be merciful to me. And I pray that you might help us, Lord, by your mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said, this will be the last sermon on the, in the series of Church Discipline. And just to remind you, Church Discipline should only happen when someone who proclaims to be a Christian... <clears throat> then starts living in unrepentant sin and after um, confronted with his sin or her sin, showing what the Bible says um, and the person says, I don't care, I don't want to listen, I, I'm going to do this. So in other words, this person doesn't want to listen to the Bible, doesn't want to listen to Jesus, doesn't want to listen to the church. Then the Bible says that last step is we should treat the person like a Gentile and a tax collector, removing him from, or her from membership and from participating in the Lord's table. And that includes any sin that disqualifies someone's profession of faith. I think it was really providential that we were reading through 1 John. 1 John makes the statement, anyone who says they walk in the light while they walk in darkness is a liar. And whenever we see that, we should say, but your profession and your life are not matching up. And one of those sins that qualifies for church discipline is unforgiveness remember what we saw last week how important forgiveness is if forgiveness is not just a light matter forgiveness is the difference between heaven and hell so if someone is unwilling to forgive they are disqualifying their profession of faith and there is no relationship on this earth that needs more grace more patience and more forgiveness than what relationship the marriage relationship right because there is no human relationship that is closer than a marriage relationship. The two become one flesh. There is no other relationship where two people become one. <clears throat> Think about it. In marriage, you share your house, your money, your possessions, your children, your friends, your time, your conflicts, your joys, your problems, your sorrows, your bodies, your hearts, Nothing is off-limit. You see, when the Bible says you should become one flesh, it's not just physically. It refers to every aspect of your life, of your marriage, in communication, in finances, in the way you raise the kids. Everything must be, there must be a unity between the husband and the wife. You become one in every area, physical and spiritual. And that's why as Christians, we need clear views about what the Bible teaches about marriage, about divorce and about remarriage, if we are to be the light of the world. People should be able to look at us and see a difference between the way we do marriage and the way we do family than the way the world does marriage and deal with their problems. Never forget because marriage is primarily an illustration of a deeper relationship. Ephesians 5, 32. This mystery, talking about marriage, is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This dance between husband and wife, a husband sacrificially loving and serving his wife and a wife respectfully and humbly submitting herself to her husband is the picture, is the image that God has given the world to see, look at how much Jesus loves the church. Look at how the, how the church submits and respects and adores Jesus. That's why marriage, if marriage fails, that picture fails as well. That picture is distorted when that fails. Remember, marriage is a creation ordinance. I love this fact. It's such a simple fact, but marriage was made by God before there was sin, before there was death, before there was a church. Marriage was there. So I want to say this. Marriage is even more important than the church. So I'm not saying don't go to church. What I'm saying is If your husband or your wife doesn't want to go to church what i'm saying is some people are so dedicated to the church to the neglect of their wives and their husbands and they think they are very spiritual but they're not spiritual one person said to a pastor especially for pastors pastors are the ones who fall into this trap the most because they're like no it's the ministry you know and one pastor said god is not happy with your ministry if your wife isn't happy with your marriage And that's just a slogan to remember. And I think we can apply that to many areas. You see, marriage is very, very important. God instituted marriage. And that's what we're gonna look at Matthew 19, but we're also gonna look briefly at 1 Corinthians chapter seven so that we can have a little bit of a full-orbed understanding. Matthew 19 gives us good principles, but then 1 Corinthians seven also gives us other principles. We're gonna look at both. And like I've said, I think that's the best way to teach on a topic like this, marriage, divorce, and remarriage, not just by strict laws, but more by principles that applies in different situations at different scenarios, and I think that's what we need. But um, before we go on, I must say this, that if you want a exhaustive um, teaching on this topic, just go on YouTube and type in Mike Winger, divorce and remarriage. Mike Winger did a three hour video, and he said, if you can sit through that in one sitting, you're a boss, okay, so don't do that. But, um, a three-hour-long video where he walks through Genesis up until Revelation. He walks through the Bible and he shows the entire Bible's teaching, and he gives sixteen principles about devotional marriage. So, if you are if you have a curious mind, or just save that video somewhere whenever you want to. But I and I have greatly benefited by that video, and I've actually just borrowed many of his principles, but I've summarized it in nine. Okay, so I've, I love you enough not to give you all sixteen. Um, Otherwise, you don't just need salvation of your sin. You also need salvation from my sermon. (laughs) Amen? Okay. So so today we're going to look at nine Bible principles. Nine Bible principles on the topic of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. But let's first, before we dive into the first principle, let's just look at the setting. The setting and the context of Matthew 19 is critical. Look at verse 1 to 3. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan... And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Okay, note that last phrase there. That's an important phrase, for any cause, okay? Because during the time of Jesus, there was a debate amongst the Jews about when is it permissible to have a divorce? And the debate was largely based on Deuteronomy 24, verses one to four. Okay, that's the main text of the debate that the Jews had. I'm just gonna read the text to you that you can hear the law for yourself. Deuteronomy 24, verse one to four reads, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if if then she finds no favor in his eyes because, here's the key phrase, he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So very interesting law. So it says a divorce happens because of some indecency, And the Jews argue, whatever that some indecency is, that's that's a legitimate ground for divorce. That was their focus. And then marries another and then divorces again. The law says she may not be remarried to her first husband because that is an abomination to the law. Now, there are many reasons, you know, many reasons why that that law was given. You can look at the three-hour-long video for a deeper discussion. But let me just give you the short, there were two rabbis, Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel. So Rabbi Shammai took the word some indecency and took it as sexual immorality or unchastity. So he said, um, if a woman is adulterous, sexually immoral, but this is where the rabbis had a very looser definition of sexual immorality. Even if she wore her hair loose or had her shoulders uncovered, that was considered going into the direction of sexual immorality, and that was grounds. So although it was the conservative view, it wasn't a very good view as well. But that was the only reason why you could have a divorce, the Rabbi Shil- um, Shemaim. But Rabbi Hillel, the other one, literally took it to the other extreme. He focused not just on the indecency, but in the, in the Talmud, also indecency in anything. So even if your wife burns the food, that's an indecency. And that was grounds for divorce. And it's not, it's not hard to see which of the two views that the Pharisees have. Right in verse three, which one of the two rabbis that they follow in verse three? They ask, "Have you? um, um, Is it not lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause?" That was the majority view of the Jews. Easy divorce, any reason. If you find a wife, if someone prettier than your wife, that was a grounds because now there's indecency in your wife. You see, so and today it's very very similar. There's no fault divorce. I'm not happy in my marriage. We don't love each other anymore. I found out I actually love this person. I found someone better. My husband is lazy. doesn't do anything. So today it's very, very similar. Divorce is easy and people tend to cheer people on. You do what you gotta do to be happy, right? That's, That's the general trend and it's very, very sad. But Jesus attacks this. He answers this problem, this question about divorce by saying to them they're focusing on completely the wrong thing. They are arguing about when is it legitimate to divorce. In other words, they were focusing on the exceptions instead of focusing on the essence of marriage. You see, they were wanting to have the the escape doors. They wanted to know, okay, but tell me now, when is the 10 or 20 exceptions that I can be divorced so that I can get divorced? Instead of what does God say is a marriage in the first place? And that's what he does. Jesus goes back to creation. Look at verse 4. To six. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus doesn't go to the law, to to Deuteronomy, he goes to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2 where God made marriage, where God instituted. You see, that's you must base your theology not on the exceptions of something, but on the rule, on how God made it, on how God intended it before sin came. So Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you are focusing on completely the wrong thing. You're taking the law of Moses, which talks about a failing marriage, regulating marriage for the sake of peace, and trying to make that the standard, the rule for all marriages. That you're missing the entire point. And that's what our sinful hearts will do as well. Once you hear that there are exceptions um, to get the exception for real divorce, your heart will tend to latch onto that and just force that exception upon your own marriage and say, well, now I think that exception applies to me as well. Instead of focusing on the very nature of your marriage, Jesus says marriage is a union Two becoming one flesh made by God. Not something men do. When you are married, it's God taking two people and uniting. Notice at the end of verse 6. Very, very important. Not what therefore man has joined together. What therefore God has joined together. Let not man separate. That's the heart of marriage. Marriage is something God himself does. And we should therefore... Not separate what God has joined together. And here's the first principle we can already just write down. Principle number one. Marriage is a union made by God himself and so we should keep it together. Marriage is a union made by God himself and so we should keep it together. It doesn't matter if you've married poorly. It doesn't matter if you are unhappy in your marriage. It doesn't matter if you feel you don't love the person anymore. It doesn't matter if you think there's somebody better for you. Jesus stands opposed to the any reason, in easy divorce of his time and also of our time. Now, and for most of us, first principle is enough. You can go home. You can say, thanks for the sermon, pastor. This is all we need. For most of our marriages, the exceptions don't even apply. And we should double down our commitment to our husbands and our wives because it is a union made by God. So to encourage marriages here, if you're married, we tend to focus on all the issues and all the little fights and quarrels we have. But focus on what your marriage is. The nature of your marriage. It is not something you did or a pastor did. It's something God did. It's a union made by God. So honor your marriage as that. It is not something to take lightly. It's not something you can just escape from and honor that. And now seek to sort out your problems with that mindset that this is a union that God gave us. And of course, if you cannot sort out your problems, come for counseling, come for help. Don't just, you know, this is one of my greatest frustrations as a pastor is people come to me or they go for help when it's already too late when it's been years and years of unresolved conflict, unresolved problems, and now they come and they, they almost just want to say, we've tried and then get a divorce. But come early. If you have issues, you have problems you don't know how to sort out, there's no shame in coming for help. We all, that's why the church is here. That's why Jesus gave us the body of Christ. I remember our very first, my very first marriage conflict I couldn't solve alone. You know how humbling that is? Like I, I read five or 20 books on marriage. I listened to sermons on biblical masculinity, biblical femininity. I'm like, I am prepared. And then I get married and I have an issue and i like, I don't know, I don't know how to deal with this. <laughs> and, and I just had one conversation with my pastor, solved, tension relieved, conflict resolved, happily ever after, okay, hopefully, happily married ever after. We're only married four years, but that's a long time. Um, So, marriage is a union made by God. Honor that. And this answer, as you could expect, did not satisfy the Pharisees. They hear this, but you're not answering our question. We're talking about divorce. We're not talking about marriage. So, here, now the the Pharisees give their rebuttal in verse 7. Look at verse 7. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Okay, Jesus, if marriage is so permanent, if marriage is something God does, then why did Moses even allow divorce in the first place? Are you implying that the law of Moses permitted sin? It's actually a very strong argument. It's a very strong counter argument. You could say rebuttal. If, you're, if that is God's intention, then why is there divorce at all? And Jesus clarifies in verse 8. Look at verse 8. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And you see it in Deuteronomy 24. It's not, it, the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 24 is not telling us how marriage should be like. It says if your marriage is crumbling and if this and, this and this and this and this and this and this happens, then this is here's the command. It's a case law. It's not meant to give us the standard, not meant to give us how it was meant to be. God allowed it because of the hardness of men's heart, but it's not God's intention for marriage. So Jesus shows us that the law of Moses was given for the sake of dealing with bad situations. Not how we should view marriage itself. But the Pharisees flipped it around. They didn't, they didn't want Moses to give us the exception. They wanted Moses to give them the, the standard. And that is, that's upside down of what it's supposed to be. And now Jesus gives his final word in verse 9. Look at verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So Jesus now gives the principle based on the creation account of how God made marriage. If you divorce for any reason, the easy divorce, and you remarry, then you are committing adultery. And here we find a few more principles we can learn from Jesus' words. Principle number two. Divorce as a general rule is wrong and shouldn't be done. And that brackets is there because of the exception that Jesus gives. Jesus does give an exception. But as a general rule, divorce is wrong and shouldn't be done. I loved what, how Mike Winger summarized it in his sermon on Mark chapter 10. He said, Jesus isn't opposed to any and every possible divorce. Rather, he's opposed to divorce for any and every possible reason. Let me say it again. Jesus is not opposed to any and every possible divorce. Rather, he's opposed to divorce for any and every possible reason. And principle number three, this is principle number three. Divorce that is unjustified doesn't end the moral obligation of the marriage. Again, the brackets that is unjustified, meaning that is for any and every reason, not the biblical reason. It doesn't end the moral obligation of the marriage. This is where Jesus goes beyond um, the Rabbi Shemai. If you divorce, marriage done. You don't have to worry again about that person. You, It's over. But Jesus says, if you marry another, you commit Adultery meaning you were still supposed to there's still an obligation even after divorce to reconcile with your first husband and wife if there was an unjustified divorce. So that's just a a very very good principle for us to take. Um, Divorce that is unjustified doesn't end the moral obligation. Principle number four. Divorce that is unjustified coupled with remarriage is adultery. Again the brackets because of the exception we're going to talk about the exception now. But coupled with remarriage is adultery. And Jesus makes it super clear in verse 9. He says, and marries another, commits adultery. So what does that mean when you commit adultery, when you remarry, when you've been divorced, unjust, in you know, an unjustifiable divorce? Simply this, very simple reason. when there are no biblical grounds for divorce, the first divorce and the the second marriage should never have happened. So when you remarry, that initial act is an act of adultery because you were never supposed to be remarried. You were supposed to either stay single or be reconciled to your first husband. So that initial act is the sinful act in God's eyes because you were never supposed to be divorced or to be remarried. But here's a very important thing to say Now that you are remarried, that second marriage is binding before God, and you should stay committed to that second marriage, even when it was a sinful choice. And we're going to look at that now. So whatever marriage you are in right now, honor Christ. Honor Christ in that marriage. Commit to that marriage. And it is with this concept that whoever marries a divorced person commits adultery, where we have found very strange and weird views within the church. And... This is why we're gonna add another principle just to clarify those views. Number five, principle number five, all divorce is a real divorce and remarriage breaks the marriage finally. Because of this view that if you remarry, you commit adultery, some people say you are never divorced in God's eyes. The divorce isn't real or the remarriage isn't real. But that goes against how the Bible sees divorce and how the Bible sees remarriage. Think about John chapter four, the women at the well. Jesus says to her, go call your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, yes, you had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. Okay, that's a very strong verse to say, sex doesn't equal marriage. The one you have now is not your husband. Sex doesn't equal marriage. But notice what Jesus says. He didn't say you had one husband and committed four adulteries. He said you had five husbands. Meaning she was divorced, remarried, divorced, remarried, divorced, remarried. And each time that happened, the marriage was binding. And that was her husband. So that's the first evidence that when someone divorces and remarries, it's a real divorce and it's a real remarriage. And again, Deuteronomy 24 is the other text, the law we just read. Remember the law was, if you divorce your first husband, get remarried the second time and the second marriage fails and divorce or the husband dies. The law forbid you to be remarried to your first husband. But again, if the divorce wasn't real and if the remarriage wasn't real, then then why couldn't the person go back and be remarried to their first spouse? That would make no sense, unless divorce is real and remarriage is real. Again, there are different reasons why that law was given. Um, But you see, I hope that makes sense, that when we divorce, when we remarry, that is seen as a real divorce and a real remarriage. And that's why we should be serious about it. There is one more radical view. We just need to just say there's another view based on this view that if you remarry, you commit adultery. They don't see the initial act as divorce or as adultery. But they would say if you are remarried, you are in a perpetual state of adultery that's a very radical view but we already see now that that cannot be true because of John 4 and Deuteronomy 24 but the implications of that view is if you are remarried you must divorce that person and be remarried to your first husband or wife or else you are going to hell that's an extremely radical view I don't think the Bible supports that at all but there is that view among some Christians among some Christian teachers but I hope this principle will help us so so Divorce is real and remarriage breaks the marriage finally. Then verse nine, Jesus gives an exception to his own view. Okay, verse nine, we have to talk about the exception. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So let's talk about that exception. Sexual immorality comes from the Greek word porneia, where we get our word pornography from. But in Jesus' time, it was an umbrella term covering many sexual sins. It wasn't just one specific sexual sin. For example, the word porneia in the Bible included adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, and incest. Jesus says with these sexual immorality happening, then there is grounds for divorce. And this is principle number six. Principle six, sexual sin can justify a divorce and remarriage. That last part is where some Christians debate about the remarriage part. Maybe they will say, okay, maybe divorce, but the Bible never assumes remarriage. But in the context of Jesus and the Jews and all of the readers of the gospel would have assumed when there were biblical grounds for divorce, remarriage was included. We're going to see that stronger later as well. So sexual sin can justify a divorce and remarriage. And I just want to say, I think this shows us the mercy of God. God desires mercy and not sacrifice. Remember, the Pharisees had a very strict way of looking at the Sabbath. They say, if you eat anything on the Sabbath, you are breaking the Sabbath. But Jesus said, why are you condemning the guilty? If you just knew what it meant, that God desires mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. I think the same thing here with marriage. People who are locked into a marriage where there is sexual unrepentant sin, God is so merciful that he says, on that grounds you may divorce. And you may remarry you are not bound you are not (coughs) locked you're not in that marriage for the rest of your life that breaks the marriage in a very definite way just want to say that doesn't mean you have to get divorced that doesn't mean one sexual sin happened boom out of the marriage no and remember the principle of forgiveness in matthew 18 if your husband or wife repents again now the radical nature of forgiveness is i forgive you although you're going to work probably for the rest of your life with trust But the exception is given and we should honor that. We shouldn't shy away from that. We shouldn't minimize that so that the victims of marriages like that, we we, we don't condemn them when they have a lawful reason to divorce. But make no mistake, the standard is still incredibly high. That's the only exception according to Jesus. And so high was that standard that the disciples responded like this in verse 10. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of man with his wife, it is better not to marry. I love, I don't know. I love the disciples. They're saying out loud what we're thinking. Okay. So the disciples are listening to Jesus. Okay. So even if I'm unhappy in a marriage, even if my wife or my husband is a nightmare to live with, even if they're not neglecting their duties, neglecting the children, if we are in serious financial debt, if we have all these issues, Jesus says no divorce stay married all of those reasons are irrelevant for a divorce because it's a union made by god and we shouldn't divorce jesus says stay married the disciples hearing this and they say but lord what if we get stuck in a bad marriage what if we married the wrong person what if we get married and then we're stuck with this marriage and we're just waking up to a nightmare every day you could say that was their fear right they say if that is the case if that is the only exception Let's just be single, eh? Problem solved, no conflicts, no worries. And then Jesus gives his answer and he replies to them in verses 11 to 12. Look at 11 he says, but he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, only those to whom it is given. For they are eunuchs who have been so from birth and they are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men and they are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Simply, a eunuch is someone who's unmarried. There's probably more to it than that, but they were unmarried, and Jesus said there were some of them making themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So that last line, which Jesus says, so some people, singleness is a good option. If you feel the standard of marriage is too high for you to commit, then use your singleness to serve the Lord. Principle number seven, is the seventh, staying single to better serve the Lord is a good option. It's a good option. Jesus says, you know, some eunuchs have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God because they understand the standards. And let me just say, the bible I think the Bible here is crystal clear. It is better to be single than to be married to a bad husband and a wife. Better to be single than to marry hastily, quickly, or with someone with a bad character. Because once married, the first principle applies. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Remember Solomon's um, warnings to his son, my son, it is better to live on the corner of a rooftop, to live in the desert than with a quarrelsome wife. Like a dripping tap is a wife that nags and is quarrelsome. And you could flip the tables as well for a bad husband or a lazy husband that doesn't do anything. It is better to be single. So, but I think what happens in our culture is we marry quickly. We marry hastily because always at the back of our mind we have this. If things goes, if things doesn't work out, we always have divorce as an option. So it's okay to just... Jump into a marriage. Even if I know this guy isn't really a good guy or this girl isn't really a good girl. And your standards are so low because you are lonely that you marry anyone that just winks the eye at you. And like I love what Matt Matt Chandler's advice is this. Get a cat. If you are lonely, get a cat. That is better than to be married wrongly. (laughs) Or a dog if you're a dog person. But let me encourage, I know many of you are single and this principle applies even now. Don't despise your singleness. Use it. A single man, a woman has more freedom, has more time. And especially when the kids come, then all your time is gone. Happy Mother's Day, by the way, for all the mothers. It is a sacrifice to be parents. It is really, it's the end of your life, Um, but it's a good end of your life. It's a sacrifice. But beloved, this is the high calling of Christ. This is what he's calling us. Marriage is from God. The marriage union is from God. We should not focus on the exceptions. There are exceptions, but don't focus on them. Focus on the general rule. Focus on the nature of marriage. And now let's close our time together by looking at 1 Corinthians. So just turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And this is important because we don't want to just have one verse or one text basing our whole theology on one topic. We want the entire Bible to inform our... And I just want to say, I'm also just actually scratching the surface. There's an entire Old Testament we haven't, we haven't touched as well. So three-hour videos, you can guys, you guys can watch that. But 1 Corinthians 7, let's read verse um, 10 to 11. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 10 to 11. So Paul says, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. So when Paul says, not I, but the Lord, he's thinking of Jesus' statements in the Gospels. He says, this is what the Lord said. This is what Jesus said in Matthew, except for sexual immorality, don't divorce so that again, that's the general rule. Are you married right now? Don't divorce. Are you separated now? Stay single or else be reconciled. And I think here he's speaking specifically to two Christians. Two Christians who are married. If you are married, don't divorce. If you're divorced, stay single or else be reconciled. And here's the, the eighth principle. Principle number eight. Are you the cause of an unjustified divorce? Then stay single or be reconciled. If you are the reason of an unjustified divorce, stay single or else be reconciled to your husband. This is God's instruction to his children. But then Paul talks about what happens in the case when you are married to an unbeliever, when you are married to somebody who doesn't love the Lord. Who? What must we do then? And now he talks, that, he talks about that in verse 12 to 15. Um, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 12. To the rest I, I say, I, not the Lord, That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. So Paul says, I, not the Lord. It almost sounds like this is his opinion. This is not the Lord, but that would be a wrong way to take it. When he says, I, not the Lord, he's saying there is no teaching in the Gospels where you will find what Paul is saying here. So I, meaning I as an apostle, I'm giving authoritative a word from the Lord, but you won't find it in the Gospel. So this is still the word of God. This is still authoritative rules for the church. And here he's, this is already a good observation for you to make. Here Paul is giving an extra exception than what Jesus gave because Jesus didn't give exceptions to every and every scenario. So we should be very careful of any view that takes Jesus' words and makes it the rule for all marriages because Paul here says, I, not the Lord, here is a, a unique case. Here is a unique situation and even in such cases, plural, meaning that there will be cases like this one that he's saying and we should use each case, case by case, and judge it accordingly. But this is what Paul says. Paul says that if you are married to an unbeliever, simple, again, what's the general rule of marriage? Don't divorce. Verse 12, so it's the same thing, 12 and, and, and verse 13. Let's just read verse 12 again. To the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. You see, it doesn't even matter if you are married to an unbeliever. You should stay married. That's how high the standard is. But in verse 15, now Paul gives another exception. Look at verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, plural, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. So if the unbeliever wants to divorce, if the unbeliever wants to push you out of the house, if he or she doesn't want to be with you anymore, the believer should let it be. And that word, you are not enslaved, is a very, very strong word. You are not enslaved to that marriage. God doesn't call you to to constantly be in bondage to that type of a marriage. You are free. And when you are free in the Jewish mindset and in the time of Paul, you are also free to remarry. And here's the nine, the last principle. Last principle is, if the unbeliever wants to leave the believer, he or she should allow it and are, and are free to remarry. That is true freedom. Not to be bound in singleness now for the rest of your life. There is that radical view. I don't think that's biblical. I just want to say that was my view, but I've changed it because of this study as well. So you're no longer bound to that marriage. God doesn't hold you bound to that marriage. And I think that this last principle actually answers many of our other questions. What about physical abuse? What about sexual abuse? Do those scenarios count as a biblical grounds for divorce? Well, I think this falls into the category of 1 Corinthians 7 verse 15. If the unbeliever is separating, while sh- I- well, somebody who is physically beating you, sexually uh, um, abusing you, that is the acts of an unbeliever. That is the acts of someone who doesn't know Christ. And if it's a believer, the process of church discipline will show that person to be an unbeliever. And the authority should obviously get involved in that, those cases as well. But I think in those cases, that also qualifies for a divorce. Because by their actions, they're showing themselves to be an unbeliever. They're pushing you out of the house or out of, out of their lives through their physical violence or their sexual violence. And I think in those cases, God will say the same thing. In those cases the brother or sister is not enslaved because God desires mercy, not sacrifice. And I think we should be merciful as well in those cases and not say, you should stay married to that. You should go back into that house. You should go back to that type of relationship. I don't think that is what God is calling us to do. So in conclusion, beloved, marriage is glorious. It is a good gift from God. So for you, if you are sitting here and you are married, do you see your marriage the way God sees your marriage? As a union made by him, not by yourself or by anybody else. Do you thank God for your wife or your husband? Do you thank him? Do you live out your duties as a husband and a wife within your marriage? So husbands and wives, let us commit first to Christ and serve Christ in our marriages. Your marriage is a weighty thing. Don't treat it lightly. For those, I don't think there's anybody here, maybe somebody in the future listens or maybe you remember this in the future. If you have been divorced or are going through a divorce, consider your situation and think about these principles. Think about how does these principles help you understand? Should you stay single? Should you be, go back to your husband? Are you free? Was your divorce a biblical divorce? What must you now do in obedience to Christ based on these verses? And if you are divorced over a biblical reason, I think this is a case, especially in Clarksville, there's a couple of people who are divorced on biblical grounds. And here, the easy thing for believers to do is to condemn themselves. Because they say, God hates divorce, I'm divorced, and therefore God hates my situation. But this should free you. To know that even God gives biblical reasons for divorce. And in those cases, you are not enslaved. You shouldn't condemn yourself when God doesn't condemn you. And so, if you feel guilty over a biblical divorce, stop it. Don't. Submit your heart and your mind under the Bible, under, under the Bible's teaching, and be free and trust in Christ. What about if you're divorced sinfully or if you've remarried sinfully? Well, realize that if you realize your sin and confess it to Jesus, he will forgive you of all your sins. Every sin, every blasphemy will be forgiven the children of man. God's grace is bigger. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. It's not. He is good. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. And so trust in him for your forgiveness and then follow Christ in obedience to your marriage. So then again, think about what you should do next in obedience to Christ. And let us follow him on the hard road of discipleship in our marriages. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we we thank you for marriage. Lord, it is a beautiful illustration of your love for the church and your church's adoration of you. Father, I want to just first pray for our marriages in in our church, in this church, in Heritage Baptist Church. Lord, thank you for every marriage that you have joined together. And what God has has joined together, let not man separate. Father, I pray for husbands. Help husbands not to be lazy, help husbands not to be harsh with their wives, help husbands to treat their wives with honor and respect as the weaker vessel, living with wives in an understanding manner. Help us to love our wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her, that she might be sanctified and beautified. Lord, please forgive us for our laziness, forgive us for sometimes just giving up and feeling that the responsibilities are too much on us. But Lord, help us to, to stand up and to fulfill our role as, as husbands. Well, I pray for wives. I pray for wives here, Lord, that you will help wives to submit to their husbands, to respect their husbands, to not um, nag them, Lord, and criticize them over and over again over their faults and remind them of their faults. But Lord, help them to forgive their husbands to support their husbands and to be that suitable helper that you've created wives to be. For those who are single, Lord, please help them to use their singleness in radical obedience. Help them to study, Lord, to to work hard for your name's sake, to reach the lost, to share the gospel, to be free, to serve the church as well in greater ways, so, Father, please help, help single people not to despise their single, not to be impatient, not to marry hastily or someone with a bad character or an unbeliever. Father, please protect, protect the single people here. Help them to make wise choices that will affect the rest of their lives. But help them not to be fearful of marriage, Lord, and to trust you as well in their marriages. Oh, Father, may we be a holy bride for you, for you are our bridegroom. And we belong to you. And thank you for loving us so much that you died for us. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.